Coming up on Verse Chorus Verse, if you tried to give rock and roll another name, you might call it Chuck Berry. That's next. I have that quote. Everybody has that quote. Welcome to Verse Chorus Verse IMDL, episode 119. It's so many episodes. With me is Jimmy B. Good Evil. <laughs> How are you? I'm very good. I'm excited for this. This was a fun one to prep for. You have a beautiful, albeit a little bit damaged, but beautiful guitar sitting behind I you. I do. I'm a little mad. I didn't know that you had a fucking guitar collection. I, it's not a collection, really. I just have some guitars. I feel like more than two is a collection. Yeah, it's a collection. But... I feel like more than three is a collection. <laughs> You just heard her talk. Guys, it's Rachel Lactose Intolerant Polio. <laughs> Rachel, is the album cover to this super mean to you? I'd still eat it. I'd get sick. That's the thing. <laughs> nah. That's the thing that's famous with people that have a lactose intolerant problem is that they don't care and they just keep making themselves and sick they, because Yeah. Because Derry's amazing. Cream. Evil, tell us more about your amazing guitar. It, it was my dad's. He was a big fan of early rock and roll. And uh, it's an Epiphone hollow body prior to Gibson purchasing Epiphone. Can't remember what model it is because stuff is worn off on it. The plan is to restore it someday. I don't know if it's ever going to sound great, but it's going to look cool. It might be expensive. Uh, I was going to do it myself. Ooh. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, I'm not going to, I wouldn't have somebody do it. That's, that's dumb. It's a very, very beautiful guitar. It looks, it might be like a 55, you guys. That's kind of what it looks like is a 55. Everybody go to Evil's house and check it out. <laughs> um, I feel like I haven't seen, no, I saw Rachel last weekend. Yeah, we hung out. Talked about Kanye. Yeah, we did. Evil, you missed out. You really did. Yay. <laughs> Dad joke of the night, three minutes in. So I finished editing that episode today and I still, I don't know about that one. We, Yeah? Yeah, there's a couple of cringy moments Ooh. we're going to see. Tap dance around some stuff there. It, it, yeah, and failing every, occasionally. Some <laughs> might be some poorly worded things in there, but we mean well, I think. <sighs> um, Do we? No, <laughs> some days. We're here. We're doing the first DL's 10 out of 10s of the year. If you haven't been able to tell by now, which I'm sure you have over the last five or six episodes we've done, this beginning of season three has been geared a lot towards oldies. We're talking the founders of the founders of the founders of mm -hmm. rock and roll and everything. I figured we like talking about influences, influencees, all that sort of stuff. Why don't we go back to the very beginning? Evil, I think you kind of grew up around this sort of stuff your dad was an elvis fan and i mean he was he was a pro bull rider in the 60s so he was very into country outlaw yeah. country but he liked like chet atkins he's a fan of like skillful guitar playing so rockabilly stuff uh this is definitely in the wheelhouse so did well. it go this far back like did you hear a lot of this when you were growing up oh boy it was all over the board but yeah for sure i i remember Hearing. All of it. I, I've grown up with this as, as something that I've known my whole life. What about you, Rach? This music, so in my house, it was a lot of 70s rock and roll mm -hmm. because that's when my dad grew up. My best friend, when I was in her house, it was 50s rock and roll because her mom liked to listen to what her mom listened to, what her, my friend's grandma listened to. So this brought up a lot of memories from that period of time. So this stuff was all... I, there were a handful of songs on here I hadn't heard before, but outside of that, this was a lot of review. I think the, what's really fun about researching and studying for this sort of stuff is there's so much, there's so much not about the music. Yeah. There's yeah. so much about the person mm -hmm. and, you know, <laughs> this guy was... This guy was fucking insane. Yeah. He was rock and roll, man. He was as rock and roll as it could possibly get for uh, all the good, all the bad. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was the whole thing. I feel like we were just going to have to kind of jump in. So why mm -hmm. don't we just get to the most important part of the night? Rachel, what are you drinking? I'm drinking... Hawaiian Punch. Hawaiian Punch. Uh, it's called the <laughs> Chuck Berry Shaker. With ice. It is one ounce of triple sec, what? two ounces of whiskey half an ounce of tequila and it said one ounce of kool-aid but mama wasn't going to do that because that's not enough uh so it's just a glass of kool-aid with uh three and a half ounces of alcohol oh yeah so. where did you find that recipe that's actually 
pretty good if you put enough Kool-Aid in it. Yeah, it's <laughs> liquor with sugar. It's going to be delicious. Oh my gosh, there's so much sugar in that. There is. Uh, I just typed in Chuck Berry alcohol. And the first thing that came up was Chuck Berry drinking like a bottle of whiskey to prove that it wouldn't get him drunk. But then he got like really sick and then he decided he didn't want to be a, he didn't want to drink anymore. (laughs) Anyway, but this was the second hit on Google. So all right, evil. What do you have deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans? I'm having a Vucare. Ah, yeah. It's one of my favorite cocktails to order when I go out. If I go to a, a, in quotes, cocktail bar. Yeah. Like if I'm like like, a press and pony kind of. Yeah. And if I'm, if I don't know anything about it and I'm a little sus, like, is this really a cocktail bar? I'll order one of these. And if they Mm. do it right, I'm like, oh, okay. They know their shit. And it's, you know. It's got the New Orleans thing going. So what you got in there? I love those. I love mm. those. Give us the uh, ingredients. Oh, Vucare is, mine has rye whiskey, uh, Rittenhouse, Pierre Ferrand, cognac, a couple dashes of Angostura bitters, a couple dashes of Pichaud's bitters, sweet vermouth, Carpano Antique is what I used, and a teaspoon of Benedictine and a lemon twist. Yum. Yeah. It's so good. I love that vermouth. I wish it was not as expensive. Yeah, it's a little spendy. What was How's I your water? Fucking... God you have to it. talk about your lack of drink. I will. No, we're getting there. Speaking of the press and pony, should we go there in April? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Party. So this will be coming out. When will this be coming out? Hang on one second. One of the things I'm working on this season is slowing down and I'm doing bad at it. You're so doing this... great at it. You haven't barely yell at us anymore. Shut up. I'm trying to talk really fast. <laughs> <laughs> In two episodes, we are going to record a live Everybody Together in Boise episode. There Yay. is a new album from a very, very prominent band that all four of the members of this podcast love and have loved for a very long time. We are going to live react to the album together in a super dark, dingy hotel in Boise, Idaho. So that's not sketchy at all. It's not a dingy hotel either. You're very fancy. It's really nice. Uh, nice. But I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask a question. I half know the answer to ask it anyway, because it's good content. Rachel, have you listened to any of the songs that are on this album yet? I have not. I have been listening to other albums of theirs of theirs to get nice and warmed up. Yeah. Evil. How many of the songs from the album have you listened to? I listened to the first single they released not a ton but a little bit listen to the second single once they have just released i think it's their third and i listened to maybe a third of it and then i tucked it away because i'm trying to save for the reaction so proud of you yeah it's hard but (laughs) like there's other stuff that has come out recently that i'm just like yeah this is this is an evil year yeah like this week there was a new unearth song a second mm-hmm. one off their new album coming out and then fucking extreme like nuno Betancourt, like his tribute to eddie van halen basically is their next album's coming out so the, that lead single blew my mind so i'm i'm a happy boy right now <laughs> yeah i saw the unearth has the brand new music video that came out today and i was like, oh evil oh he's, god he's so happy right now they're, and they're it's good that's i think he's gonna like it mm-hmm. um <laughs> <laughs> I am super boring still, Aww. which Rachel alluded to. I'm drinking mm, water. water. Couple things I want to talk about with this. First one being that this is the first night that it was actually hard for me to not drink. I think it's a good thing because it kind of proves to me that it's a it's more ritualistic. Mm. I never get home and crave alcohol, but then tonight and I was like, fuck, we're talking music. <laughs> like, look at all of this mm-hmm. liquor around me that I could just make a quick drink. So my question is, one of our last episodes that I did by myself, I talked about that and I talked about how much we talk about drinking on this podcast. I don't think that either of you two, I, I want to get your point of view on it, Evil, because you don't strike me as the type I know that like with the holidays, you do a reset after for your eating habits. Yeah. Do you ever do a reset with drinking? Mm, I don't feel like I have to. I think I just do it now. Na- like I've never done like a purposeful one. Mm-hmm. It just sort of like happens naturally. I'm just like, eh, there's no like deliberate thought put into it, but I'll go two, three weeks without having a drink. That's what I said. I said, you seem like you're probably so in tune with your physical and mental health, stuff like that probably isn't needed. Yeah. 
And I also, I really despise, this happens in the fitness industry a lot. It's one of the reasons I kind of segued out of that as a profession. People will cling to like the latest trends. And I'm seeing in, in certain fitness circles and like, I don't know, like the manosphere, mansplanation, men's success sort of circles, bunch of fucking weirdos. The They're, Andrew Tates of the world? Yeah, there's like this big, alcohol's poison. The the root of intoxication <laughs> is toxic. And it's like, guys, just fucking don't drink all the time, you know? <laughs> but it's it, everything is to the extreme. The other one that I've done on and off for years, and now everyone is doing it, it's like ice baths. Right. Like I see yeah. everyone posting shit. Like, look at me. I'm training my mind. I'm like, no, you're not. You're posting this for fucking clout. You idiot. Y- yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's so stupid. And so I really eschew anything trend like that, like dry week or dry month. I'm like, just sober October. Handle your shit, man, on the reg. Don't turn it into this grand event for clicks yeah. and likes. Just fucking excess and moderation. Okay, number one, you've now said on the reg, and that's sus in this episode. You officially I'm live teenagers. with teenagers. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, what's funny is you say that, and I was so stubborn about being worried that I would feel like that, like I'm just being some trendy thing, that I purposely was like, I'm not doing a fucking month. I'm picking An arbitrary this time and a yeah. complete arbitrary. Like, that's different. So, so yeah, I'm not drinking for a while. It's a thing, you know, it's a mental thing. Make sure that my mind's right. I think that's good. I think that's healthy. Now, if you were like DL's dry week and you're like hit me productizing up for, it. Yeah. yeah. Hit me up for my electrolyte water. <laughs> Gag. <laughs> and then, and then with Rachel, I'd say, I mean, you, you honestly drink so infrequently that it's not. I really, I just drink with you boys and that is it. Yeah. <laughs> am, we're trying so hard. I am uh, in the middle of, in the middle, in the first couple weeks of Lent though. So I am off of coffee and soda, which I do have a big problem with. So. Not Kool-Aid though. Not Kool-Aid though. <laughs> do you pick your own stuff for Lent? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought it was, I thought it was predetermined specific things. No, it's just a give up cool. a thing and then fail at it and for see how what a horrible human you are. Um, it's from Ash <laughs> Wednesday to Easter. So it's 40 days. Oh, that's a while. Yeah. Guilt, guilt, guilt. Mm. <laughs> keeps me going. Let's talk about all the profane things we can with this Ooh. artist that I just, I love. Let's talk about rock and roll. Uh, when Fuck. Fuck, fuck yeah. yeah. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Maybelline, why can't you be true? That, it doesn't matter what you do. You did that with fucking Guinness. <laughs> Have you tried Guinness and Kool-Aid? <laughs> uh, we are back. Chuck Berry's Berry is on top. That's what we're talking. We have so much that we have to get through. We have so much exciting, cool shit to talk about with this album. I fucking love this album. This is one of those, the whole point of DL's 10 out of 10s is albums that I've always held in my head as they're just perfect albums. But I haven't listened to them or researched them ever or haven't listened to them in a really long time. And I need to get the perspectives of Rachel and Evil, uh, who I think I think they're probably going to have better perspectives than me on this one. But before we get into their thoughts, we have to do the friendship test. Rachel, what are Evil and I's favorite songs on this album? Okay, first of all, this one time when you said Barry is on top... I got the album cover. I was like, oh, because there's berries on the ice cream. <laughs> Yay. Oh, my God. All right. Well, at least she's pretty. Okay, moving down. <laughs> I think I had, I had a really hard time trying to figure out what you idiots liked. I picked Johnny Be Good for David because... That shitty song? Because he loves Back to the Future, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's how I put that together. Uh, Evil, I just said Maybelline. It sounded like uh, country-ish, that, something that Evil would be into. I like where you went there. You know what's really funny is I said Evil because he seems like a Back to the Future nerd. <gasps> <laughs> you love Back to the Future, don't you? Me? Yeah. It's a perfect movie. See, there, <laughs> I, I knew it. I it. There, are, there are few perfect movies, and <laughs> Back to the Future is one of them. 
Big Huey Lewis and the News fan. Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's also another reason, and we'll get to that when we talk about it. Oh. Rachel, it's funny, because for Rachel, I picked Maybelline. Hmm. I think it's the bangiest, poppiest banger on this album. All right. Uh, Evil, what did you pick for us? Uh, I struggled with this because, I mean, the answer is Johnny Be Good across the board for everything. <laughs> that is, that's on so many top songs of all time lists that, mm-hmm. you know, I could just say that for both of you guys, and I should, probably should. But <laughs> let's go out on, on some limbs. <laughs> I'm audibling here since because you guys' picks threw me off a little bit. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm going to say. Evil just wants to do a podcast on Back to the Future now. <laughs> well, fuck yeah. <laughs> Dude, that would be so awesome. That's a Halloween movie. <laughs> but it does have a music tie. I mean, the whole like sock hop sequence. It's not really a sock hop, is it? The prom sequence. Yeah. Is, that's music. It's that's, that's, yeah, it's 50s. It's Earth Angel and the, and Johnny Be Good. So, yeah. I'm going to say um, for you, Mr. DL, I'm going to say Roll Over Beethoven. That's a pretty good song. It's not bad. And for Rachel, I'm going to say Almost Grown. That's a pretty good song, too. Yeah. Is Johnny Be Good is the answer for all of us. Chuck Berry is on top. Releases July of 1959. The label is Chess. Because it was produced by Leonard and Phil Chess, they were the brothers that owned that record company. Okay, we're going to have to get this out of the way. This is a conversation. I don't know if any of you had thought of this while you were studying, but this is essentially a compilation. Mm-hmm. Right. Were there any of your thoughts like DL doesn't seem like he would allow a compilation on a <laughs> DL's 10 out of 10? Well, when you kind of invent a genre you get yeah. you get a pass you get carte some blanche of these rules. On, yeah. yes <laughs> so because i did the, one of the first things i thought you know this is a compilation and i even think that he has better full albums when it became later on and full albums were a thing which they weren't until 1964 you didn't have a choice your albums were getting me compilations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i just feel like it's it's okay it's okay. It's okay, right? So sure. that's how the music industry worked. They released, you know, singles, essentially. Yeah. Like A-side, B-side. Records, as they call yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing that struck me is like how close it is to how music is released today on streaming services. Yes. True. Yes. Yeah. It's and fucking ha- Spotify, man. It is. It, it really is. I'd never heard of the double A-side before, before researching this. Yeah. So he had... You know, some of his releases were double A. Like, for those of you who don't understand A and B sides, they would release a single, (laughs) which would be like the popular song. And then the B side would be not really a throwaway, but something else. Chuck Berry's, some of his releases were double A's. They were both single on each side, which I had not. That was, that's a new concept to me. This is just how albums were done. And trying to concentrate a lot on the beginning of the, the rotation of this season a lot of the origins, a lot of the originators. And Chuck Berry, I, you can definitely say that Chuck Berry invented rock and roll. Now, he, I don't think he's the only person that invented rock and roll, but Chuck Berry invented rock and roll. I wanted to touch on that. I know it's a compilation, and I know that it, it might be kind of cheating on putting an album like this on there, but we don't care. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. I also think that, first off, like I said, they didn't do that. They didn't do full conceptual albums until 1964. For, foreshadowing maybe, <laughs> for the next episode. I think it almost kind of works to its detriment a little bit because it's not that cohesive of an album to me. Mm-hmm. Right. You think that too, Rachel? I think so. When we go through the songs, we can kind of touch on this. A lot of the songs sound very similar uh, when they start out. And there are a couple songs where it just seems like an odd choice for this album. Like they just kind of grabbed the last 10, 12, however many songs is on this singles and this kind of smashed them together. I don't think it's very cohesive. I think parts of it are, but I think you'd have to take out maybe a, a third or a quarter of the songs to make it make sense. Did you listen to it as an album evil or did you mostly just do kind of a shuffly singlesy thing? A shuffly singlesy thing. Huh. Yeah. Um, I, it's short. It's just barely over 30 minutes. I Mm -hmm. listened to this thing a bunch. 
Uh, and for the most part, I listen to it from start to finish in most listens. It doesn't work as an album. Yeah. Like when you listen to it that way, it's disjointed. There are some fucking killer songs on it. Right. But it's structured kind of wonkily. Mm-hmm. It, I like the songs at the end, but they don't... If you listen to it as an album, it kind of peters out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. To your point, like the endeavor of recording an album was not really a thing. They just like threw songs together. So though I, I don't think there was really a precedent in curating an mm-hmm. album. And so they just threw some songs on here. And they're for the most part, great songs. Do they work together as an album? Mm, I mean, no, they're fucking good songs. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's monumentally influential all over <laughs> it. Yes. You know, but as an album, it's more of a collection of really good songs. I agree. Yeah, completely agree. We, you know, Rachel, we touched on this when we did the Beatles last year. We did the origin of the Beatles. Right. We talked about their first couple albums and it's the same thing. It's this mishmash compilation of a bunch of songs that they released. Mm-hmm. In fact, I bet subconsciously that was the motivation for me doing picking all these sort of things this year Mm -hmm. is because if we're going to talk about the Beatles getting big, we have to talk about Chuck Berry, (laughs) Little Richard, James Brown. Yeah. I just did an episode on Ronnie Spector. Those people are the reasons that the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, 700 white people and bands got famous. Yeah. (laughs) It was on the backs of the songs that Chuck Berry wrote. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've got more to say on that. Later Imagine on. that. I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we do that? Look, like Evil said, short album. Historically, we could probably do an episode on five different songs in these albums separately. Yeah. We could do an episode on Johnny B. Good. We could do an episode on Maybelline. So let's go song by song. Let's start by Almost Grown. I'm going to start by saying that Almost Grown, written by Chuck Berry, quintessential 1959 release, ended up being a hit for the band The Animals, a band of white dudes. Right. Rachel. Yes. Why do you love the song Almost Grown? (laughs) That's a great question. I like that it starts out with like a woo-woo that sounds like a train. So it really gets... (laughs) That's really... That's a very seven-year-old answer of you. Yes. Um, (laughs) This song, I think, out of all of the songs, has the best integration of blues and jazz with rock and roll. Yeah. It's a good transition song, and I think it was a really great way to start this album out. Yeah. This is the most interesting song on the album for me. Me too. For a whole bunch of reasons. It stands out. It's This is fucking dance music is what all of this is. Mm-hmm. And this is the most dancey dance music of the whole album to me. Yeah. It, it, I mean, let's talk about the backing vocals a little bit. Yeah. Do you know who the backing vocalists were on this track, on this recording? The Whitburns, right? Etta James. Uh, Etta James did backings on this? Yes. Uh, Harvey and the Moonglows, also known as the Marquis, featured a very young Marvin Gaye. So this track has Chuck yeah. Berry, Etta James, and the Marvin Gaye. The new Moon Oh my, and the Marquis. Holy fuck. Holy fuck. <laughs> oh my God. How did I not fucking know that? Holy shit. You idiot. Out of the gate, this album, or this song is the most interesting. I mean, we'll talk about Johnny Be Good. But um, besides it, this is the most interesting track to me. And it's fucking great. It, it, it makes you want to dance. It is. it is. It's amazing. It does make you want to dance. We're talking about influences. This should be all about influences. Chuck Berry's influences. The big two were Muddy Waters and Nat King Cole. Right. Uh, which that is what, as far as lineage of, of rock, blues, all that shit, everything that I've seen, it just goes back to Muddy Waters and Nat King Cole. Yeah. T-Bone Walker, um, too. I would, T-Bone, I would, he's yeah. like a close number three in there. This is so Muddy Waters meets Nat King Cole to me. Uh, absolutely. I absolutely, I fucking love this song. It does have great Chuck Berry guitar, but it's not prevalent. It's about the song. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not about Chuck Berry. It's the type of song that when you know Chuck Berry's story, when you know that Chuck Berry raised in St. Louis, are we supposed to say St. Louis if we're not from St. Louis? Probably. But I feel like if I'm talking about Chuck Berry, 
I want to say St. Louis. Oh, I don't know. Well, it- he's from he's from St. Louis. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> he's <laughs> What would you say if you if you were drinking? How would you say it? I probably would have said, "Where is he from? Chicago?" <laughs> he's from a pretty good community. It's not it's actually a multicultural community, which I think is a big deal and I think we'll touch on this later, but is a lot of why he doesn't target a specific audience. He wants everybody to listen to his music. Mm-hmm. He wants country in there. He wants everything in there. And it's not necessarily because he is just a love everybody guy. It's because he's all about them Benjamins. Yeah, he was. Yes. Smart guy. <laughs> exactly. He was fucking smart. To the point to where he he consciously changed lyrics to Johnny Be Good to appeal to a broader audience he sure did the original lyric was deep down in louisiana close to new orleans way back up in the woods amongst the evergreens there stood a log cabin made of earth and wood where lived a colored boy named johnny be good and this is like an autobiographical song and he's like mm-hmm. eh, i want to make some money and i want this to play on the radio change it to where lived a country boy yeah named johnny be good he was savvy very fucking smart he was a bit of a troublemaker when he was young. <laughs> <laughs> he maybe did some things like, you know, on his way to California with a friend trying to, he wanted to make it. He wanted to be a star. So here's the fun thing that I've learned while I've been studying this. I did Ronnie Spector. I've been learning a lot about Billy Holiday, Chuck Berry. It's very hard to know what actually happened with these people. Mm-hmm. But what I gathered is, and any of you can tell me where you think it happened or what's different. Driving to California, they break down and they steal a car. The law says steal a car at gunpoint. Chuck Berry says it wasn't actually a gunpoint. It was like a fake gun, something like that. It's still a gunpoint, even if it's a fake gun. A good point. (laughs) (laughs) That's a bad point. (laughs) Uh, ends up in reformatory school and yeah, he, he was a rock and roller from when he was a little kid, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Rock and roll is not dangerous anymore. One of the things that stood out to me is like rock and roll used to be so like the people involved were fucking dangerous. They would all be fucking canceled today. There's no danger in music anymore because there can't be it's, there's just too much accountability, too much tracking too much big brother it just you can't be but back in the day shit was fucking wild (laughs) these people were fucking wild absolutely wild yeah you are totally fucking right we'll keep talking about chuck berry as we go let's get to the second song second song is carol which the rolling stones them came out with in uh, 1958 was a big hit for them another group of white dudes (laughs) this is perfect chuck berry this is rock. This is guitar discovered. This is Beatles and Zeppelin and every other fucking thing. Carol is one of many songs that he like sort of invented something that is so ubiquitous now. And it's like how he, the intro to his songs and Carol's the first time mm-hmm. you hear it on this album. There were songs on this album that I'm positive I've never listened to before. And yet the first time I listened to him, I'm like, oh, I've heard this. Yeah. That's how fucking influential he is. Mm -hmm. Along with that, this is in a time where a lot of music was based off of like standards, like blues standards or jazz standards. And then the creativity came in adjusting it to sort of your version of it, which we can talk about in the next track when we get to it. But Mm -hmm. what I notice about Carol is... I can hear that influence moving forward, whereas in the next track, I can hear it kind of coming from from what happened before him. So I think that's, I mean, it's... I mean, everybody has to be influenced by something. Right. That ubiquitous riff was stolen, which I'm sure you all know, um, <laughs> from Louis Jordan that uh, had it in 1946. And so listening through this album and listening to that, cool riff like six times over at the beginning of each song in different keys uh was it's just a copy paste of some other dude was a little i mean upsetting because it's like his patented riff that somebody wrote before he started writing music you have to go off of something yes like every note i mean for the you, you could make that first. argument for the formula for 12 bar blues you can make that argument for sure 
fucking Led Zeppelin one, <laughs> which is yeah. essentially like rocked out blues standards. Mm-hmm. I'll drink for this. <laughs> Eddie Van Halen didn't invent two hand tapping, but God damn, everyone knows two hand tapping because of Eddie Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Sure. That riff is known because of Chuck Berry, not because of whoever right. you said before. You know, <laughs> and there was it's, whoever it was. <laughs> And that's the thing is the guy that wrote it gets no credit for it. He should have I feel done like it this, better. Especially during this time. He should have duck 50s, walked. In the 50s and 60s, this was that time where somebody wrote a song and they were like, oh, that's good. I'm going to re-record that today, even though it came out yesterday. And people were just stealing shit left and right. Rachel, you're, ab- you're absolving all care. of the white guilt that DL is about to talk about. No, she's not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I see what you're saying. I get it. Um, we can circle back. I, I, there is a difference between riffing and taking a song. You know, Louis Jordan didn't write Johnny Be Good. I get what you're saying that that front part, if I was writing a song and I was trying to put a guitar solo in and the first six note riff, I was trying to be completely nobody's ever played it. I would never write a fucking, I can't do that. That's an Eric Clapton. Fuck. I can't do that. That's a George Harrison. I can't do that. That's a Ringo swing. I think it's the lack of sneakiness that bothers me. Like it's, it's too good to be sneaky. Very obvious. And then again, like it was his patented thing after as soon as he stole it, like it was his thing. And then it's like he's known for it. And yeah, maybe it is like he just did it better. So he just wins. I mean, we also are mind reading here. Like maybe that was a tip of the hat. Chuck Berry acknowledged it. Well, yeah, he Olivia Rodrigo did after somebody was like, hey, (laughs) this sounds a lot like my friend Louie. Let me give two examples. Come at this from different angles. If you listen to the opening to Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin, they fucking lifted that note for note from one of their opening yeah. bands. If you listen to the recording from the band that they were touring with, that but they then turned that song into fucking Stairway to Heaven. The other band didn't do that. On the other hand, and this is more my obsession with Nuno, the latest single from Extreme is called Rise. And on record saying, you know, when, when Eddie passed away, he felt like a fire was lit underneath him. And he, he's, he's like, I, I will never be able to replace him, but I want to pick up the torch and carry it for being a guitar virtuoso. And there are things that Nuno does in the solo for the track Rise that are Eddie Van Halen things. They're tips of the hat to EVH, 100%, that Nuno has never done before. So I think this is a little bit of both of those. For sure. We live in a time where fucking most performers don't write their own music. Yeah. Right. Is that theft? Well, that's all permissions given and everybody knows what's going on. Uh, right. It, but how many years of, of music industry legalese later? Back then it was everyone, it was all cross-pollination. That was part of the right, creativity. Yeah. I think it is different in that that was part of the musical culture of the time. Sure. I get it. You know, I the Beatles are one of my favorite bands and they got famous off the backs of this of this music. Mm-hmm. When I think Chuck Berry, I don't think that beginning that do 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 I think I think Stevie Ray Vaughan. That's what I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Chuck Berry to me was the I'm going to sing, I'm going to play a lick, rock blues. Yeah. If that riff was the only thing I thought of him for, I think there would maybe be where the problem is. That's fair. Now let's get to a massive, massive song on a crossover that nobody had seen coming that was amazing. Maybelline. Yeah. Which is fucking country rock, man. Right. Yep. Columbia Records released a version by Marty Roberts. uh, Sorry, Marty Robbins. I got his name wrong because I don't know who the fuck he is because I don't care. But... He got super famous in the 50s for doing Chuck Berry's song. Mm -hmm. Although we can touch on that too. Like evil looks like he's ready with it. This song's a version of Ida Red, which was, that's my point is like, this was an era where this was how music was just done. It was everybody. It was Mm -hmm. almost like a compliment to be covered by somebody. I do feel like Ida Red was released in 1939, which was 16 years before Chuck Berry recorded it. So in that way, I don't know why this is how my brain works. In that way, it's more of like... Wasn't Louis Jordan in the 30s? No, uh, that was 1946. I'm going to call you out, man. So this seems like an homage to somebody because it let the body get cold rather than like a couple months later. Did you listen to Ida Red? Yeah. 
It's definitely uh, a version, like a different, different Maybelline take on is it. so much fucking oh, better. Oh, for sure. <laughs> thousand percent. <laughs> I don't well, know. It's, it's, it's electric just... guitar instead of fiddle. I mean, fuck you, fiddle. Rude. I, I love this fucking song. That's interesting. This conversation is not going how I thought it would, but I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think it's good. Let's get to Sweet Little Rock and Roller. Jerry Williams got famous singing this song. Rod Stewart got famous singing this song. It's a lovely song. Right, Rachel? Mm. <laughs> our, our lover of lyrics. I just struggled with the lyrics of this song. <laughs> you did? I did. And we all know why. This album was released in 1959. A couple months later, he was like, hey, 14-year-old girl, you want to cross state lines with me and work as a hat check girl yeah. over with me? <laughs> uh, and so he was arrested under the Mann Act, which is like a prostitution, can't take minors over the line. I think he was 36, she was 14, and it was just really fucked up. And so he went to prison very shortly after this album was released, and he went to prison for a year and a half. And so talking about a young girl and her love of rock and roll just didn't sit right with me. So I think, and this is me taking the other route, I thought the lyrics kind of saved it. And the reason that is, is because the chorus talking about how her dad knows there's no point in trying to scold her, her lover or whoever can't even hold her, you know, when she's right. doing her thing. And maybe I'm just grasping, but this seems like a fucking, this is an independent fucking rocker chick, man. She's out doing her own thing saying, fuck everybody. She just starts out as a nine-year-old, so. The original lyric was 19. They should have kept it And he just said there. it didn't fit. It didn't fit. Well, she's not young enough. Okay, R. Well, Kelly. I feel like no. <laughs> Honestly, I cringed through a lot of this album lyrically. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I had a hard time with it. I did. It's, I get it, especially when you know about him. Yeah. But that's the thing is you can't even say him. It's the fucking 50s. People were fucking disgusting in the 50s. Yeah. People. They're not much dating better a now. Seven, they're not. <laughs> But at least now you have to hide if you're going to fucking date a 17-year-old. Like back then, nobody Jerry gave Lee a fuck. Lewis. Oh, she was 13 and they were related. That's totally different. <laughs> oh, David. Let's talk about music. <laughs> Next song is Anthony Boy. What I love about this one is there's a quote by Stephen King who loved this song. He says, a little act of genius it's the only song I could ever think of to rhyme school with vestibule. <laughs> I don't this know why that's fucking This is one of the songs where I'm like, I honestly don't know if I've heard this recording before, but I've heard this before. Yeah. Everywhere. And it's got that feel that kind of. I mean, just that cadence, like. Especially back then, it was such a fun beat but like you said he wanted to make everybody dance because that's how you made money this is a dude that would insist on getting the daily paper every morning from his hotel sent to him so he knew what the economy was doing he knew the the dollar transfers he knew everything so that he knew exactly what he would demand to make that night at his gig back then there was typically two to three encores he would do one encore and then he would leave. And then before he'd go back, it would, like people would just be screaming for an encore. And he'd look at the promoter and be like, I'd really like to go out there. <laughs> do you have any more money for me? This dude was all about fucking money. And these sort of songs, that's what people wanted to dance to back then. And uh, Graham Bonnet also did this song and got big for it okay so let's go to little mm. queenie who the rolling stones got big singing the beatles got big singing this song reminded me of kip winger okay. he's only 17 okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> that is a hard lyric to get past yeah she doesn't look a minute past she's 17. too cute to be a minute over 17 yeah. she's too he's cute singing to this when he's 33 17. years old <laughs> I this this was the first track when I I think my first listen through this is the one where I was like oh this is gonna be harder than I wanted it to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's there's more nuance here than I wanted. Uh, I just, and it's uh, really it's hard for me with these guys to just be like oh it was just the time it was just the time this is just how it was. I don't understand how it's okay to talk that way about children. These are just kids. Like they're still because they weren't they weren't children back then. 
I totally get what you're saying. Let me preface yeah. that. I get what you're saying. Obviously, the reason that things are now the way they are is because we understand now that it's fucking wrong. Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. It's perverse. Their brains aren't fully developed. There's many reasons why that's gross. But back then, that wasn't the case. I get what you're saying. But if you aren't raised to think mm -hmm. that doing something like that is disgusting, are you going to think it's disgusting? I think even in my old age, I can't really divert too far on either way of my age and be like, that person's attractive. I'd like to. So for somebody to go that far away from their age, like it's less than half of his age. I get what you're saying too, but it's just hard for me to think that that's okay. We, we live in an age where there's no fucking room for nuance in anything. Yeah. Right. Even if we thought otherwise, which I don't think we do, we would have to be like, that's fucking gross. It's disgusting. And it's wrong, which it fucking right. is. It was a different culture, a different time. Does that make it right or acceptable? No. But it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Jerry Lee Lewis, Meredith's cousin, 13 years old. Priscilla people was didn't like that one. 14 when Elvis started dating her. He was in his 20s. Mm -hmm. They got married. <sighs> Neither of those guys went to prison for that. I mean, Jerry Lee Lewis fucked his career. It's true. He did. Okay. <laughs> That's enough of this. How about Jojo Gunn? That's a fun How song, right? <laughs> Made famous by the Underbeats. Nice strapping young white lads. Mm -hmm. I love the song. It's straight out of like Quentin Tarantino. I'm surprised it hasn't been in a film of his. It's what I picture walking into Jackrabbit Slim's. I love songs like this. I was going to go through and be like, everybody loves every song. And now I'm like, well, what um, fucking problem let, do you guys have with this one? Let me know. <laughs> here's, I think, the potential discussion. Are we able to separate art from the artist? I can, <laughs> usually, in most cases. Are we going to do that here? I am. Yeah. I, Look, we talked about this for fucking three hours last week, yeah. Rachel, with, with Kanye. And Rachel made a good point. I think it's a little easier with Kanye because his story hasn't ended yet. It, we don't know if in a year he might come out and be like, I am fucking sorry. I was completely fucking whacked out of my gourd. Let's have a discussion. Mm -hmm. This and that. I just don't. They're they're fucking rock stars, they're, man. They're wild humans. That we put up. Yes. We were the ones that put them on that That's pedestal. That's part of it. Let me, let me throw a big one out there because Michael Jackson. Well, Rachel has been very vocal about her feelings on Michael Jackson. I, I, I know. And and I live in a house where anytime his music is like comes on streaming, it gets skipped. Okay. You know? Uh, and so. Mm -hmm. God, I love your wife. <laughs> Here's the thing. There are multiple documentaries about Michael Jackson. If you watch one of them, mm -hmm. you end it thinking, oh my gosh, this is a disgusting human being who did horrible things to kids. If you watch the other one, oh my gosh, he was framed and none of this is true. This is all. It's all persuasion and perspective and we don't know a fucking thing about what really happened in any of these situations. And that's why I'm able to separate art from artists because I just don't know in most cases. And to DL's point, we, the public, are the ones who elevate all of these people. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of on us at the same time. And we're here to talk about the music, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at the end of the day. You can't cancel someone like Chuck Berry without canceling all of fucking rock music. You just can't. And me, I explained this in the Kanye episode a little bit. For me, separating the person, the music is very hard when you involve children when you are in a manic episode like kanye's been in for the last however many years it's a little bit different because it's himself and it's his mental issues seemingly he hasn't involved any minor children at that point so it's very unless they're easy jewish for me to, oh yeah that's true i'm not you're not wrong i don't think anybody in the industry was in any sort of state to do any of the right things. And it kept going through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I really like this album though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I ruined everything. <sighs> Here's the thing. You have to know me as a person and I'm going to dig more into the person than I am into the music. I didn't know it was going to go like this. <laughs> I honestly didn't. 
rollover Beethoven. Yeah. Uh, we've already taught stolen by everybody. So no right. problem there. But hey, he wrote it about Beethoven. So he stole from Beethoven. Um, sure. I did. love the song. The song is fucking amazing. It's it's rock and roll, man. It's yeah. Once again on the album, it's rock and roll perfected. Apparently it's on the uh, 500 greatest songs of all time, according to Rolling Stone. Mm hmm. So the first time I heard this song was in the movie Beethoven. And I was like, this song slaps and it's great listening to it while watching St. Bernard's run around. Whose version was it in Beethoven? I think it was his. Nice. I think it was Chuck Good job, Beethoven. Yeah. Also, I just think that the lyrics are very clever. It is extreme. In this one. Yes, it is lyrically very clever. Let's fast forward here. Hey, Pedro's a fucking weird song. (laughs) Um... Around and Around, uh, taken by the Rolling Stones. In fact, if you look up the song Around and Around, the first thing Google says is Around and Around by the Rolling Stones. So that's a real kick in the balls. Mm -hmm. And then last song, Blues for Hawaiians, which is a non-vocal. I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like they're in the studio. By the way, this is the only only song that was recorded for this album, which it Chuck Berry had said that they kind of just had him slap it on. I almost feel like he went into a studio. He saw a steel guitar. He's like, ah, let me let me dink around with this. Let me fuck around with that. Yeah, that's what it feels like. And Blues for Hawaiians comes out of it. I mean, it's a good outro. I love it. There's talk of petering out. I love it. I go back and forth of if it should be an outro or if it should be an interlude at the end of the A-side. Because... I think this album could be mildly saved if you rearranged a couple of things. It's still a compilation, but I think the songs were very poorly placed on this album. Okay, so let's get to the song. The song that everybody knows from Chuck Berry. I've cited all the bands that stole all the songs. This one was stolen by Marty McFly. Uh, Calvin Klein. Let's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. Evil Mr. Back to the Future. Why don't you start us off on Johnny B. Good? Well, this is a song that was covered by, like you said, Everyone. Marty McFly. Fucking Hendrix did this song. Judas mm-hmm. Priest covered this fucking song. Mm-hmm. It is ubiquitous in pop culture and rock and roll. This song is rock and roll. Yes. that's It is. Just yeah. hard stop. This song is fucking rock and roll. Um, I just want to say that my favorite version was the no effects version. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, she's just fucking with you. Now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when Barry finally got in his hands, copy of Maybelline. I don't know if you call this karma because of the Aho Ida Red thing, but uh, this explains what was going on in the industry. He recorded it, he wrote it for all intents and purposes. But when he got his hands on the record, he saw he was one of three songwriters on the record. Alan Freed, the disc jockey who so aggressively promoted the song, was on there. And then Russ Fratto, who Chuck Berry had never heard of in his life, uh, who it turned out was a mafia dude who called in some favors and got his fucking name on a Chuck Berry record. So that's the kind of shit that was going on in the industry back then. It was fucking insane. I came into this looking at as a, this was still a point in time in the late fifties and early sixties where cash grab in the industry was you take these amazing, brilliant songs that black artists like Chuck Berry wrote, gave them to people like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and made a shit ton of money off of them. I still think that's true, particularly with the people that didn't end up getting huge, like Fats Domino. But in the end, everybody's stealing from somebody Have you ever seen the Bill Hicks sketch about play from your fucking heart? He wants his musicians to be like just a wild fucking things up on stage and, and Kurt Cobain. Die in a fiery like, car crash. Blow your head or, off and yeah. die in a fiery. That's fucking rock and roll. It's what mm-hmm. it is. We can sit here and analyze it and call what's bad, bad and what's good about it, good about it. And, and, that's fucking rock and roll. It's what it is. And it's missing from music. And it probably always will be missing from music from here on out. Is that a good thing for humanity? That people aren't doing disgusting things to other people? That's a generally a good thing. Yeah. But I would like for humans to be able to tap into that wild instinct without being disgusting human beings. 
I don't know if that's possible. I don't know. I'm just, we're all fucking human, man. I've done terrible things in my life. Yeah. Not terrible in these aspects necessarily, but still terrible. I don't know why I can turn this album on and listen to it and love it and not give a fuck that he got arrested for crossing state lines with a 14 year old, but I can. And I don't know if that makes me a bad person or not. The thing about music is that it transcends whether we want it to or not. Yes. I have something that will be edited entirely out because it talks about the Holocaust. Um, <laughs> so I have hope for days in the future where we can have nuanced conversations about things like this without like the worry of mm-hmm. how it's going to look. Because the only way to really evolve and grow as a species is to be able to kind of tear these kinds of things apart and look mm-hmm. at them. Let's do some awards and categories when we get back. <laughs> be right back. You know my temperature rising, the jukebox blowing a fuse. My heart beating rhythm and my soul keep us singing the blues. We are back. Let's get to some awards and categories. David Crosby Met Award. I couldn't find anything uh, except for I didn't realize how much the conversation was going to go towards Chuck Berry's faults. So I thought this would be a little funnier than it is. (laughs) But I just had two comments from two people five starring it. But their comments were these. They cut his goddamn nuts off for some shit like this today. <laughs> five starred yeah. it, but they did say that. But still five stars. Good yes. job. Uh, and then another five star, considering Hey Pedro, this may be considered racist, but so what? It's a classic Chuck Berry tune. Five stars. <laughs> On my notes for Pedro, I wrote, this is racist, right? Yeah. Why is this here? <laughs> I can't keep beating the fucking drum that I beat, but back yeah. then, I don't think it was seen as racist. It was racist. But it wasn't seen as such at all. I mean, Breakfast at Tiffany's was a couple years before that. Yeah. Peter Pan, What Makes the Red Man Red. Everything was fucked uh, back then. DMX Award. I I mean, mean, he only invented rock and roll. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's my answer. That's kind of unique. I stole it from everybody at the very beginning, but mm-hmm. if you tried to give rock and roll another name, you might call it Chuck Berry. That's John Lennon. This was the beginnings of the safe integration of black music into white listeners' yeah. ears. He succeeded in the crossover. That jazz uh, into into rock and roll. The Mark Lanigan True Rockstar Award. I had a joke that I can't fucking make. <laughs> Rachel, what is... <laughs> He was just a pioneer. I have uh, Bob Dylan called him the Shakespeare of rock and roll. Bruce Springsteen said Chuck Berry was rock's greatest practitioner guitarist and greatest pure rock and roll writer who ever lived. When a, a sleazy 90s, 2000s rock band just like switches the first few letters of your name <laughs> and that's their fucking band name. <clears throat> Buck Cherry. Oh, You're fucking really? rock and roll as fuck. I mean... <laughs> Underrated, overrated, properly rated in its time. I think it was properly. Well, no. Only two of these songs broke the top 10. That's pretty fucking underrated. And that was Maybelline and Johnny Be Good. And that was it. Now I would say extremely under. I don't know. I think it's underrated. I was just going to say, I think if everybody's stealing your shit at this point, it's so far separated that it's an honor. I have a a quote. I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. (laughs) But your kids are going to love it. Influences, influences. I mean, I already said the ones I had, which is Muddy Waters and Nat King Cole. Yeah. Everybody for influences. Does anybody have uh, any different influences? T-Bone. T-Bone Walker. That's right. I would put in there. Second time I forgot. Jesus Christ. Never mind the Bullocks Award. Once they got past 64... He has a couple of very cohesive, great albums. This is a compilation. To me, it's a no. I, same thing. It's a compilation. It's probably the singular best group of his best songs. Yeah. But as an album, I would say meh. we could argue that all night. Mm-hmm. I have not listened to his other albums, but I can confidently say that this is not his best as a cohesive album. John Paul Jones Award. Right back to you, Rachel. I thought something that would be fun would be Stevie Ray Vaughan. Adding him. They played together. Oh, really? With George Thorogood. What? <laughs> the Grammys, 1984. Chuck Berry with Stevie Ray Vaughan and George Thorogood. Damn. 
okay. called it. Well, watching that later. Evil John Paul Jones. I'm going to approach this a little bit differently. And I want to John Paul Jones award fucking rock and roll music from this point forward. We're <laughs> piano in rock and roll is sorely missing. One of the oh, things I loved yeah. about the, listening to this is how mm-hmm. fucking badass, not keyboard, not, no. like, not organ, not rock and roll piano is fucking badass. And the two guys who record recorded these songs are fucking amazing. One of them is who the song Johnny Be Good was sort of initially about before it mm-hmm. became kind of an autobiography. Ironically, the other one is the one who actually recorded this version of it. But yeah, fucking rock and roll piano is legit. Johnny Johnson, who was kind of the namesake for Johnny Be Good, and then Lafayette Leak. Which is just such a fucking amazing name. <laughs> Lafayette <laughs> That is uh-huh. great. And he's the one who actually recorded the piano on Johnny Be Good, on this mm-hmm. version of the recording. But those guys are fucking killers, and I miss piano in rock music. Evil's got a fever. I do. And the only prescription is more piano. That fits perfectly into my John Paul Jones Award, because my John Paul Jones Award is the killer, Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh, I want God Jerry damn. Lee Lewis all over this fucking yeah. album. Not saying that the piano wasn't already incredible, but could you imagine a Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis? Yeah. Oh my God. The no, dude, seriously award. It's Johnny B. Good. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the answer. Okay, that was super easy. How about the John Popper Award though? Evil, what's the best hook on this album? It's the chorus of Johnny B. Good. <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> I put that fucking riff. Yeah. <laughs> I considered that, actually. I said sweet little rock and roller. Hmm. I love that chorus, that partner can't hardly hold her. I love that. I think it's awesome. And I choose to see it in a positive light. The John Prine Best Lyric Award. I mean, it's too cute to be a minute over 17, right? (laughs) Um, I did put that down as my first option. (laughs) Rachel, what is it? The second one I did was I got that rockin' pneumonia. I need a shot of rhythm and blues. Yeah. Twinsies. Twins. Twins. (laughs) So clever. I caught the rolling arthritis sitting down at Rhythm Review. Roll over Beethoven. They rockin' in two by two. Yeah. Yeah, That was mine too. How many times has this song been rewritten since Chuck Berry wrote it? His mother told him, someday you will be a man and you will be the leader of a big old band. Many people coming from miles around to hear you play your music when the sun goes down. Maybe someday your name will be in light saying Johnny be good tonight. We've been talking about the music and how he invented rock and roll guitar. The lyrics that Chuck Berry wrote on some of these songs, that song has been rewritten by bad company mm-hmm. every single home sweet home like there's more to it than just that there is like this ethos in rock and roll it's now like i see it in like the heavy metal community if you are like famous out of the gate you don't have respect you have to come from nowhere and claw your way up from the bottom got to do your 150 gigs a year yeah record mm-hmm. your your first album or two on an indie label that no one hears before you start this is like the blueprint for rock and roll not just the musically but in terms of like what's expected from like an artist's career tra- trajectory that's, god damn it yeah this is about that that's so fucking good ah <laughs> uh. The Eddie Van Halen Award, Rachel, what's the best riff? I just put that fucking riff. Even though I'm mad at it, it's still amazing. I'm saying roll over Beethoven. It's the definition of what every rock and roll guitar player would try to do. After that song came out, every rock and roller tried to do that with their guitar. Evil, what about you? I called it that lick instead of that riff, but it's the same thing. It's on Carol. It's kind of on the intro to Maybelline a little bit. Mm -hmm. Sweet little rock and roll. You hear it there. Johnny Be Good is the perfected form of it. Little Queenie sort of. Jojo Gunn, roll over Beethoven. You hear it at the intro of all of those. Yeah. Side note. My favorite solo on the album is in Maybelline. That guitar tone is fucking nasty. It's so beautiful. I absolutely love the sound of this guitar on that. I love in the recordings back then, not only could you hear the hum of the drums, but you can hear the the slaps of an upright bass. Mm -hmm. Kind of the the distorted mic hits that come from that. I love it so much. 
Surfer Rosa Award. Uh, it's not good. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a well compiled album. It's a fucking compilation. That is to me the worst part of this album. Rachel, what about you? Ditto. Yeah, it's just a shit show. <laughs> Evil. What about you? Yeah, it, I mean, there's hits across the board, but it's not cohesive. It's not. It doesn't work as an album for me, and I listen to it a bunch. Individually, the songs are awesome. Mm-hmm. It's blues. It follows the same formula here and there, so it, c- it can get samey if you listen to it over and over, being as, as short as it was. That's kind of how I did it. And Time of Your Life Award, right back to you, Evil. What's the worst song on this album? I said there's no bad songs, but there's a lot of bad takes. <laughs> oh, Rachel? Um, I one of the bad takes. Uh, hey Pedro is what I put on there. I would mm-hmm. get rid of that song in a heartbeat. Yeah, I said that too. I don't know what it would have been considered back then. I, it's I just don't think it's a very good song. Yeah, it's not. It's a throwaway on it's all points. Like um, yeah. So let's get to the fun stuff now. Best three songs on the album. I will start. My third favorite is Carol. I love it. There's something very fresh in that song. I'm not saying it was because it wasn't. I think it came out in 58, but it just sounds, when you hear that riff, it sounds the cleanest. To me, for some reason, it just sounds like the first time he did it. Uh, my number two is Maybelline. It's just a fucking amazing song. You can all string me up if you want. I don't care. <laughs> my favorite song on this is Almost Grown. I think it's the perfect rock and roll song. Whoa. I love Johnny Be Good. I've heard Johnny Be Good 782 million times. I don't know. But Almost Grown, to me, with everything in it, is the perfect rock song. Evil, what are your three favorite songs on the album? Number three, Maybelline. It's my favorite mm. guitar playing on the I album. I love that. Honestly. I love that song. Number two, Almost Grown. It's such a good song. It's Okay, if this album didn't have Johnny B. Good on it, which, like I said, is the fucking blueprint, mm-hmm. Almost Grown would be my favorite. It might be my favorite. I just have to... Johnny B. Good's number one, but Almost Grown is... Like I said before, the most interesting song on the yeah. album. And then I learned about it. I'm like, oh, it's the most interesting song on the album for, for many, many reasons. reasons. Mm-hmm. Johnny Be Good, recorded by fucking everybody. Mm-hmm. Hendrix has an album named Johnny Be Good. He sure does. One of the greatest movies ever features Johnny Be Good with an Eddie Van Halen solo in it. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe a little Pete Townsend in there as well. Uh, fucking. Judas Priest recorded Johnny Be Good, and I love their version of it. It's so stupid. It's probably their worst album, but it's it. I almost sent it to you guys, but I'm like, I gotta save that. It, I love it. It's fucking great. Uh, it it is the blueprint of rock and roll. That song. So it's number Can't one. Can't argue that. Rachel, what you got? Number three, around and around. Really? Yeah. Whoa. Um, I really liked that one. I liked the sound of the recording also. Mm -hmm. It sounded like there was like a microphone in a closet and then they like shut the door and then they recorded the music in the room. (laughs) I actually really like that track, but I felt like it doesn't belong in the album because it's so sonically different from it. Really? Yeah. Disjointing. No, you guys are right. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two, I put Maybelline because it's Maybelline. Yeah, it's good. Um, And then number one, I should have known it was David's favorite. It is almost grown. It's such a good song. Such a good song. It is. Okay, guys. Who won the album, Rachel? I put rock and roll, baby. Yeah, that's the right answer. Rock and roll Uh, fucking one. Triplets, rock and roll was my answer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we win. Rate the album. Rachel, you obviously are going to give this a 10 out of 10. We want to know why. (laughs) I would say... Eight out of 10. And I think that's being very generous. And I say that because it's such a fucking mismatch of songs. I'm sorry, I can't give it a 10 out of 10. That's a B. That's a solid B. Evil. Twinning the whole way down here. I gave it an eight as well. (laughs) It should get a 10 out of 10 just for Johnny B. Good on it. Maybe it would have in different circumstances. Maybe if we were doing the record. Yeah. uh, Yes. Yes. The double A and then. Yeah. Yes. Triplets, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Barry's on top. It's a compilation. It's not a perfectly cohesive album, but this would be a different conversation if this wasn't about albums. This is about the person involved or the writing or where it came to be. This would be a totally different conversation. And that's Chuck Barry. Barry is on top. A little bit reminiscent of our Sticky Fingers episode, huh? (laughs) Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. 
fucking rock and roll is it's full of wild horrible human beings doing degenerates doing awesome shit that's sure. rock and, and with roll. that evil let's write an album baby <laughs> <laughs> join us next week you know why we've been talking about 1964 and how the idea of an album came to be well guess what we're doing a year dissection Ooh. But we're not doing a year dissection, are we, Evil? Mm-mm. We're doing a bunch of years. <laughs> we had to have a starting off point somewhere, right? Join us next week for that. It's going to be fun. We're going to talk about a lot, a lot of very old music. A lot. Talk about one. Yes. It's very well. I'm excited. Me too. Rachel, thank you for joining me. Sorry that you had to listen to this, I guess. I don't... <laughs> and Evil... Thank you for liking this album for me. I appreciate it. <laughs> I like your guitar. No. It's very beautiful. Versecourseverse.com at versecoursevercepod. Sorry about the awkward episode, everybody. Hope you still love us because we love you. Good night. Good luck. Oh, I, oh, I wanna stay right by your side. Together, natural.